I just encourage everyone to make their way back to their seats. So we're going to get ready to read the Bible. Here at City Light, every single week, uh, we read from God's Word uh, because we do believe it is exactly that. We believe that this is God uh, communicating directly with us, and that's why we read it and teach from it and learn from it every week. Uh, Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, sentences 25 through to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of God. Well, good afternoon. My name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's great to have you along here today with us. Uh, a, big, a big welcome if you're new or newish. Uh, thanks for being here. Hope you enjoy your time here at City Light. Um, we are looking at a series of Jesus looking at uh, what he taught in the Sermon of the Mount. So Jesus is speaking to uh, his followers and what it looks like to be part of his kingdom. And we've seen a lot of... Uh, um, Jesus tackling big issues, big topics, and today we, we uh, do it again and we, we look at this idea of anxiety, as Ez was just saying for us. Um, it's been interesting preparing this sermon. Um, uh, as you know, I've, I've wrestled with anxiety myself and I've been quite anxious, which is irony, right? Like the anxious guy preaching on anxiety, feeling anxious about it, right? Like that's pretty good, right? But, uh, but I gave it this morning and I felt quite uh, drained afterwards, so I'm going to pray that God gives me help to do that, so to preach. So how about I pray now and then we'll get into it. Lord, we want, to, we want to thank you, as everything was saying before, that, um, that you speak into every area of our lives. There is no area that is off limits to you, that you care about each of us and, and our emotions and our feelings and uh, where we're at with you. Lord, I want to pray for, for those of us who struggle with, with anxiety and worry. Lord, we, we all go through seasons of this and I want to pray today that we would, we would hear from you, the lover of our soul, the creator of all things, and you would, you would give us a, a, an understanding of who we are in you. We would have a better understanding of um, what's at the core of our worry and our troubles, and we would hear Jesus speak into, into this area that we so wrestle with. 
Uh, Lord, we, we look around and we see, we see a world that is often, that is troubled by fear and by worry and by anxiety. And so we want to we be here today and sit under your word and listen to you speak. We want to pray that you would be here by your spirit and address our hearts and our minds. And that we could leave here today having a better understanding of ourselves and of the God who loves us and how that relates to worry and anxiety and fear. So Lord, just use me today. Um, help me to speak grace and truth, grace and truth, and uh, bless our time now, we ask. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I wonder if you would describe yourself as a warrior, as, a, as an anxious personality. Um, I shared to you that that's probably uh, you know, how I would describe myself. Um, uh, my anxiety is a lot better, but I'm, uh, I'm, prone, I'm prone to worry. And uh, this was the case from a very young age. Uh, I can remember I used to hate going to big department stores, you know, like Kmart and Big W, that sort of stuff. I used to hate going there because two fears that I had, not just one, but I had two, uh, two fears that I had was one, that, um, uh, that I'd get lost in the department store, and the second one was that I'd be trapped inside the department store, right? Not just double of that, right? Double. So, and uh, we used to go to Kmart or Big W, and I had an older brother and sister, and we'd get bored in there, so we'd play hide and seek a lot together. And uh, at these big department stores, there'd be these big, huge racks of clothes, and they were the best place to hide in. So you could go in the middle of them, put the clothes around you, and stand there, and no one would find you. And so uh, we used to play hide-and-seek in there. And, uh, but the problem is, if you hide too well, one of your, and one of your siblings was in, they'd give up very quickly and walk off. And so you're just still like half an hour, they can't find me, but they're already in the next shop, so they're already gone without you. And uh, I can vividly remember being my brother, and we found the best hiding spot. Uh, we thought no one would find us. And uh, after like 20 minutes or so, we came out. And my sister had given up like 15 minutes ago, and she was already walking off. And uh, we looked around. My mum and my, my sister were gone. And I was young, and so like my fear had come to reality. And I remember the panic kicked in straight away. And I thought, we're lost forever. They'll never find us. We're going to be orphans for the rest of our lives in Big W. Who will look after us? And um, I remember my, looking at my brother and had like tears in my eyes and he was a bit older and he, he was like five years older than me. He said, Gav, it's fine. Just jump on my shoulders and you were able to see over all the aisles. Right? Jump on my shoulders. And then so I did. And I was just calling out, Mom! Mom! Looking at the shopping center, looking for Mom. And, you know, seeing this giant man-child over the... Over the over, <laughs> we're just like sobbing and calling out, crying out to his mom. And I'm sure my mom was uh, dying of embarrassment at that point. But I had this real fear of being lost in department stores. The other one was that I'd be trapped in a department store. I don't know where this even comes from. But um, so, you know, uh, you hear a department store and you hear an announcement, carry a loudspeaker. I'd often think that they were saying the store is now closed, get out, right? I don't know why. So the announcement would often go like, everyone else would hear it like this. You know, good afternoon shoppers, there's a sale on in aisle two, children's shoes. I would hear, good afternoon shoppers, the store's now closed, get out or you're trapped forever. And I would hear that. And I would just start panicking and crying. I was the worst person to go shopping with, my poor mother. Um, but from an early age, I was a bit of a warrior. I remember um, in uh, late primary school, my grandmother died and I was 11 or so. And I remember after she died, I, I, I thought that the same thing might happen to my mum. And so I got really anxious about that and leaving her. Uh, at high school, I remember finding that really hard and getting quite anxious there. I was... I was a bit overweight, I got teased regularly and got picked on and made fun of, and I found that really hard too. Um, I, I would hate being the centre of attention. My greatest fear uh, was you know, having to get up the front and, do, and speak in front of the class. 
Uh, and this fear of being the centre of attention and speaking in front of my uh, uh, and speaking in front of people continued on into uni and even to Bible college. And at the heart of this fear was uh, this 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 worry that people would find out who I really am. I had this idea that I was quite unintelligent and stupid, and so I didn't want anyone else to find that out because I didn't like that I was like that. And if you found that out, then you wouldn't like me either. And so that was I, I was always I walked into a class and I'd think please and ask me a question, please and ask me a question. I mean, the lecturer was there. And I had this real fear of being exposed. I didn't like who I was, and I didn't want other people around me to find out who I was either. As I've gotten older, I've been blessed with a really beautiful family, um, but I now get worried about them. Um, you know, I, I feel like I have more to lose now. There's more potential for loss. And so I worry about them. I worry that will they get sick? When will my children get a disease? And how would I cope with that? As you can see, I'm very much prone to worrying and being anxious. And I know I'm not alone in this. Um, a lot of you have kindly shared your, your struggles. As, I, as I'm quite honest, I share, you share your struggles with, with anxiety and worry. And I know a lot of us uh, have the, have the um, tendency to feel stressed and overwhelmed, and, and which is just you know, feeling, feeling beyond yourself. So we, we, all sort of, we all sort of know and understand what, this, what it is like to feel stress and worry and anxiety. And we all, we all face it, and some face it for, other, for longer seasons than others. And so as we come to this passage today that Jesus is saying, it speaks to a lot of us. But I wonder if you were to stop and to think, and it's often hard when you have anxiety to stop and to think, but if you just stop and to think, where do these anxieties come from? Where do these worries come from? Don't a lot of them come from not being in control, not being able to, to control people think of you. That's the thing with, with, with fear of people. You have no control over what they think of you, no matter what you do. You know, not being able to control what comes tomorrow. Not being able to control uh, if you get sick or someone else gets sick. Whether you're in a relationship or not, or getting a job or not, affording a house or not. And most of us hate, uh, hate being out of control because when we aren't in control, anything can happen to us. And if we're not in control, then who is? Who's calling the shots? And will they do what I want them to do? Will they care for me? Will they look after me? Will everything be okay and play out as I hoped? And how will I know? Can I trust the person who's in control? Can I trust them? Today's passage speaks right into those fears and those worries and those anxieties. And I want to say from the very beginning that Jesus understands. He gets it. He gets it. So we're going to have a look at what he says. We're in, we're in Matthew 6. Last week, Jez spoke to us about what Jesus says to uh, his people about um, money and possessions and wealth and how to use that. And, he was, and he, Jesus calls on his followers, those who, who trust him. He says that you can't love both God and money. You've got to choose. You can't have both of them. You can't worship both things. And he's saying that uh, as a follower of him, that you'll be radically generous and you'll give to others and to the needy and to the poor and you'll use what you have as being a good steward and bless those around you, not being enslaved by them. He says, store up your treasures in heaven, not on earth. And we can hear this, and I don't know if you were there last week, you could hear this, and this is a hard word. This is because I think for a lot of us, we find our security and our, um, and our pleasure and our comfort and our money and our possessions and our stuff. We build our lives, we build our identities on what we own. You know, you hear in the, hear in the, in the media a lot, we want to be comfortable, we want to be financially comfortable. But Jesus is saying, if you're part of my kingdom, that, that is not what you like. 
you have a new priority. You have seeking me first and being radically generous as God has been generous to us in Jesus. So we can hear this and go, oh yeah, I get what you're saying, Jesus, but it's difficult to do that. How do I do that? How do I live this out? How do I be generous? And who will care for me? Who will look after me? And who will provide for me? And if I do this, then I'll be more stressed because how do I handle what I've got and, and provide? And again, this is what Jesus speaks about here. He speaks into this fear and to this worry. And I love that he lays down a hard word and then he goes on to comfort us as he does it. I'm going to read to you what he says and how he addresses this. So have a look at the screen for me for a sec, and I'm going to read just briefly through this, and we'll have a look at it. It says, Jesus is saying this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather there into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to this span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that in, uh, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, who so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, how much more, how much more, uh, how will he not clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious about what you say, what you eat, or what you drink, or what you shall wear. Jesus <clears throat> puts the hard word on, and then he gives you comfort in saying, this is how you do it. I'm going to comfort you in this. I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, I had a chance to interview my wife, Katie, at the front here, which is pretty fun. And I men- mentioned one of her hidden talents is making pancakes. She's pretty good at this. And uh, it, uh, we have fun with our kids, and we make them pancakes, and uh, that's their favorite thing to eat for breakfast. And uh, we started getting to be creative, and I started this being creative, and I thought, look, let's have fun with these, these pancakes, and these are some things that I've made. I thought I was pretty good at this, so... Look, what? I heard someone go, the front there, look, Savvy P. Now, now, that was my effort. My wife freehanded this. Right. She did a minion. <laughs> a minion with a pancake. For a pancake, my kids are like, okay, Dad, no more names. Just get Mum to do the pancakes from now on, right? Pretty amazing. And then she went colour. So we added food dye in, and we started playing with that a little bit, and going, we can do coloured pancakes now, right? So there's a coloured pancake you can now eat, right? Which is, which is pretty incredible. And uh, you can take that away, and I can be distracted by the coloured pancake. Um, uh, we, we, we have a lot of fun with our kids and we make food for them we do all that sort of stuff and um, as parents we see that making food and looking after them and caring for them providing for their needs day by day we do that because we love our kids that's our role as a parent we love them so much we want to take care of them and of all their needs day by day my kids don't wake up and think Whoa, gee I hope my mum and dad feed me today or gee I hope my mum and dad clothe me today they don't they, don't, they never think that They know because we love them so much that we'll provide for every one of their needs. And we always will, and they can rely on that. Jesus is saying the exact same thing here about our Heavenly Father. And I love that Jesus uses the term Father here. He uses, instead of saying, saying God or Lord, he says our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Dad trying to evoke this this language and bring to mind of, of care and compassion and strength. 
And he's saying, Jesus is saying that a heavenly dad is concerned with your daily needs. He's concerned and they're important to him just like they are to a father, to a dad. And the amazing thing is that our heavenly dad is both the sovereign one who sits on his throne in heaven calling the shots, but he's also personal and near. He's the king who dwells with his people. And we look at the Bible, how God speaks of himself. He speaks of his nearness and his presence and his active, protecting nature. And he comforts those who need comforting. That's our dad. And that's why Jesus says, don't worry, don't be anxious what you eat or what you drink, but rather remember who your dad is. You know, when, when, you know, when, um, when you're worried or anxious, someone might come up to you and say, oh, you look a bit worried there. Don't worry, it'll be all right. Hit in the back. You think... Thank you. But those words are empty. Because what can you do? You, you have no control over my circumstances. So in a sense, they're empty words when someone says, don't worry. But that's not the case with Jesus here. He reminds us that we have a heavenly dad who is both in control and near and personal. So when he says, don't worry, it has power to it. It has power to it. And I love that Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, then move on. He then gives you concrete examples to play this out. And he gives you two examples, one of birds and one of, one of lilies. Look at what he says here. On the screen behind me, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or plant. You know, you don't see birds going through the checkouts at Audi or Coles or Woolies. You don't see that. You don't see birds building big barns and trying to store up food because they think, well, today's a good day, but tomorrow there'll be no food at all. They don't do that. They get food every day. How? Well, sentence 28 says, your heavenly Father feeds them. Then he says, look at the lilies of the field. They look amazing in all their splendor. They grow every day. They're not trying out outfits or what, you know, blogging about what looks good for summer. They, they are amazing. And yet Jesus says, they're more amazing than Solomon in all his splendor. How did this happen? Well, he says, again, God closed them. They're around for a short time and then they die. And Jesus is saying here this, how much more argument? If this is how he cares for the lilies, how much more will he care for you? If this is how he cares for the birds and provides for them, how much more you? Are you not more valuable than birds? Jesus is assuming and, and, and calling us to remember that in contrast to the rest of creation, only us as humans have been made in his image. The birds well, aren't made in God's image, or the lilies aren't made in God's image. Humans are. Only we can call him father. How much more will he care for his own children? The father loves all his creatures that he made, but not all his creatures are made in his image. The creator and the sustainer of all things has a special interest in you and I. The basic argument here is he who provides us with life and bodies, how one who provides for less important things like food and clothes. Therefore, the follower of Jesus need not worry about those things. We learn, how, we, learn we have a heavenly dad who cares, who gives us enough for each day's needs. And I love this because God, it says there that he provides for each day's needs, one day at a time. I know uh, God does this because he wants to draw us in. See, if God came to me and said, Gav, I'm going to give you each day's needs for a, for a year. I'll just lump you in. Here's 365 days worth of stuff. I'd say, okay, God, see you next year. What he does, he says, I'm going to give you one day at a time. 
So it draws me to depend on him, to come to him, to trust him. The Lord's prayer is, give us today our daily bread. And God draws me in knowing that I need him. I have a relationship with him. That's why he says in sentence 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious of it for itself. One day at a time. One day at a time and no more. Most of our worry and anxiety is about tomorrow and what will happen uh, in the future. And often if you have anxiety and worry, you become this thing called a prophet of doom. Right? You think about the future and you predict the worst case scenario on your life and then you live out the emotion in that moment thinking about the situation that hasn't even happened yet. You know, for me to be like, oh, you know, I wonder if, my, if one of my kids gets sick or gets cancer, then, oh, what would I do then? And then Katie be said, then what do I do? And then I start living this emotion of that. It hasn't even happened yet. And I want to live in this emotion of this prophet of doom. Our fears and worries live in the future. And God hasn't given us the strength to meet those needs yet. But he will in the moment. And he wants us to come to him in those moments and saying, help. And he promises that he will be there in the tomorrow. But he says, I've freed you in the now. I've provided for your needs now today to free you to go and be about my kingdom. We learn here that Jesus knows us and he knows that we will worry. And he knows that our fears and our worries won't, won't and aren't easily conquered. In the Bible, one of the biggest commands that God gives uh, throughout the Bible over a hundred times is do not fear, is do not be afraid, is do not worry. He says it again and again and again. And God doesn't say this as a throwaway line to, to, to try to say, you know, stop annoying me, don't fear, go away. No, it's more God is saying, I know you, I know what you're like. He's not so busy with the big things that he's, that he's, that he's distracted, but he's going, do not fear, I'm close. He knows you. He doesn't compare your worries to the worries of others and saying, that's, that's a silly worry, don't worry about that. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't give you a number and say, wait in line. He doesn't do that. He knows that a simple word will not banish our fears. He knows that our worries aren't waitingly patient to leave us, are patiently waiting to leave us. When God says, don't be afraid, it's not the captain of a ship that says, I got this, don't be afraid, I'm in charge, you're on my ship. We're going to go ahead. He's the one who can make speech into action. He's the sovereign king who is in control. And I love that Jesus takes time to unpack examples to show us why we don't need to worry, but rather we can be radically generous and seek to live for God's kingdom. Jesus even says in sentence 33, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and these things will be given to you. And this word seeking the kingdom is this idea of an unceasing quest. It's a daily seeking God and his kingdom, coming to him. As we do that, God is saying, I'll provide for you, just trust me. The big question is, do you trust Jesus when he says this? It all comes down to this question, I think. Do we trust him? Do you trust him? I often share with you the saga that is our pets at home. We have, um, we recently bought three, three mice, one for each of our children. And uh, the other day, one of our mice died, Snowy. Rest in peace, Snowy. Um, anyway, we replaced Snowy with two mice. So Katie said, I'm going to replace Snowy. But then she brought two mice home. Not sure why, but now we have four mice, right? So now we have Charlotte, 
who replaced Snowy. We've got an extra one, which I chose to name Mighty, as in Mighty Mouse. Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate that. I thought it was good. Anyway, anyway, we have, we have two mice, uh, two young mice, and they're tiny. They're really little guys, and um, uh, they're very timid. They're very scared. And so you go near their cage, they'll run to their shelter really quick, and they don't want anything to do with you at all. Anyway, yesterday, Jet decided to get Mighty out of the cage, and I said, bud, look, just be careful with Mighty. He's quite, she's quite timid. Don't, don't go too crazy with it. He's like, yeah, that'd be fine. Opens the door, walks outside Mighty in the backyard. Like, buddy, you sure it's going to be okay? He's like, yeah, it's fine, Dad. And we just built this sort of new deck in our backyard. Anyway, he's on the deck, and I'm doing some gardening. I look over. I said, bud, where's Mighty? He said, oh, I've just put in the tractor, the toy tractor, and driving her around. I'm like, okay, sure. Does she like this? He's like, yeah, she's fine. Anyway, so he has this little baby mice, mouse in a toy tractor driving it on the deck, right? You can picture that. Anyway, he put Mighty in the little digger thing at the front and he went to the edge of the deck and then, and then the digger thing fell down and then Mighty fell and down on the ground. Now, Mighty was okay. She was alive. But then she ran under the deck, like, gone. Between the deck and the ground, is like this much space. So I'm trying to crawl under the deck like this, trying to, like, the roof like this close to my face, trying to grab this mouse, but as soon as, as soon as the mouse was gone, like panic stations kicked in. And like, Mighty's out! So then my kids come up with these like, big nets trying to catch the mouse. And this mouse is going under the deck. And I thought we were going to lose Mighty forever. Anyway, after about 10 minutes, um, I got some bread and trying to put on this shovel and lure Mighty out for so long. It was just chaos. Anyway, and uh, uh, we finally I got Mighty and I grabbed Mighty, um, the, got her under my hand and then finally got her out and passed her out. And I was the hero of the family. But, uh, but I don't think it's gone very far to mighty trusting us any, anymore or, uh, or enjoying tractors much either. I think she's, uh, you put a tractor in the cage and she shakes. No, um, you just <laughs> leave that alone. Um, uh, but mighty does not trust us anymore. And it's interesting though, when you meet people and trying to learn how to, if you trust someone or not, it's all about what they're like and do you trust their character and can you, when they say something, they follow through with it and that's how we form a picture of trust of someone, don't we? wonder how you feel about God. When God gives his promises, when Jesus says, do not fear, do you trust him? Do you trust him in what he says? Do you believe him when he says that? You don't need to worry, don't need to be anxious. I want to say, for me, I find that really hard. Shamedly to say, often I don't trust him. I don't trust him. I think we all struggle with this sometimes. And Jesus knows this. And I'm going to show you how he knows this. Look at this again. Here what Jesus says. He says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, alive and tomorrow is thrown in the, in the oven, how much, more, uh, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. Jesus is not trying to be rude, but he's saying, that's what we're like, O you of little faith. He knows that we struggle. He knows that our faith is often small. He knows what we are like. And we know that a lot of our worries and our anxieties really boil back to this idea of trust. Not trusting God's control or his care or his provision. That he'll come through and do what he said he was going to do. I know for me, a lot of my, my anxiety comes back to this issue of lack of trust. 
I quickly forget what he has done. He's done the biggest thing in my life in saving me and in giving his son for me and giving me a, a, a life to the full and taking my sin on the cross and making me one of his children forever and giving me a new home and eternity. And I forget that he's done the biggest thing. How am I going to do the smaller things now? I think, you know, for me, and I think for us, when things are going well, we say, yeah, trust God, love God, great. Live for his kingdom. When life is hard and it's uncertain, we can often run back to our old ways, our old vices. We trust things like money and our possessions and ourselves, and when they fail, as they often do, we then we get scared, we get worried, we get anxious. There's a real danger that Jesus points out later on in Matthew's gospel. He talks about the parable of the seeds on the soils, and he talks about one of the, one of the um, plants gets choked up as by the worries of the world, by the deceitfulness of wealth. It drags people away. And I think often a lot, a lot of the time, our worries and our fears reveal whom we really trust, what we rely upon. I think we often trust God for heaven, but not for earth. And I think, you know, deep down a lot of us know this. We know this issue of trust is there. And I, I want to say that, that I think the cure... Um, uh, to anxiety and worry or one of the things that helps you go forward with is not just knowing the problem but actually the cure is, is knowing the one you're called to trust. Can I encourage you not to spend all your time focusing on your past failures, your wavering allegiances but rather keep focusing on the God whom you're called to trust to know him, to know what he is like. It's like with anyone, if you want to trust them and know them more you've got to spend time with them. See what they are like. See how you can trust them. See how they are faithful, what they've said they're going to do. Grow in that relationship. And as you know him and his ways, you'll grow in your faith and your trust of him. Jesus says there's nothing to worry about. It's, it's my kingdom. I'm in control. And he's not worried. He says, take your cue from me. And when we live as people who do trust in the Lord day to day, waiting for him to provide knowing that he's going to come through, we actually become a blessing to our world. As I said, I think our world is, is, is just uh, saturated with anxiety and fear. If any of you have seen the, uh, the most, you know, some of the recent elections around the world and what's going on in Europe, and a lot of it has just been flooded by fear and anxiety and worry. Are we going to be okay? Jesus says in sentence 31, as we live, we should live differently from those around us who chase after all this stuff and get anxious when they don't have it. We can show the world a better way to live. One that says we, we have someone greater who's in control and we trust him no matter what happens. And when we worry, we act as if God doesn't exist and we're concerned with the same things everyone else is. We act as if we have no heavenly dad who says, I've got this. Imagine, imagine if you were living and living in a way that you didn't need to be concerned whether you have enough money to buy a house or not. Or chasing, that, chasing hard after that promotion at work so you can get a pay rise or not. Imagine being at work and not being stressed out about deadlines, yet working hard, yet being a blessing to your workplace, but trusting, having a peace about you. Imagine living in such a way that you can be generous to your neighbors, show hospitality to those in your street, in your community, finding those who are in need and blessing them with money, with groceries, with whatever. 
seeking God's kingdom first, knowing because you've been provided for and God says, I've got it. Imagine you have a life where you can trust what, what, what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, 8, which is one of my memory verses. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I love this. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind. God says, come to me and I'll guard you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. We don't have a distant father who who's, doesn't care what's going on. He says, come to me. I care for you. So simple what Jesus says in Matthew 20, uh, 6, 27. He says, who can add an hour to their life by worrying? We can't. We spend so much effort on our anxiety and our fears. We often forget our heavenly dad who says, I love you, I care for you, and I've got this. And he says, I've got this every single day until I see you face to face. Every day I've got it until I see you face to face. My question is, do you trust him? Will you trust him? To finish up, there, there are so many ways I could have gone with this. I was really looking forward to speaking on this issue of anxiety. And 2 Corinthians 1 says, um, with the comfort that I've given you, comfort other people. That's what I wanted to do today with what God has taught me the past two, three years with anxiety and stress and worry. I really hope that it's been a, a, you've come to see who God is and work through that, but I just want to share with you to finish up with some things that God has taught me on this topic, this issue that I think has, um, affects a lot of us. One of the big things when I uh, was sick with anxiety, and I was four or five months down with anxiety, finding it really hard to leave my house, um, was God was asking me a question. He was saying to me, do you trust me? It's a big question he kept asking me over and over again. My big fear and worry was that I would get sick um, and get quite sick and uh, possibly die. And uh, I know it was an irrational thought, but that's what was, what was going on in my head. Um, uh, a few years ago, my brother, who's 40, um, got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Um, uh, very young for, for a guy in his 40s. Um, and then I thought I would get that too. I started having these weird symptoms due to stress, muscle twitches, all that sort of stuff, and they got worse as I focused on them more, which is crazy how the brain works. And I saw a number of doctors and neurologists, and I said, look, what's going on? Do I got something serious? And they were saying, no, 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 you're fine, you're fine. But I didn't believe them. Um, I was still convinced um, that I was going to get something and going to get sick. And the huge worry that was in behind this all was, if I get sick and I get an illness, then who will look after my family if I get sick and die? Who look after Kate and the kids? And our fears and our worries can make us believe and do funny things. I battled with this for like four or five months, daily feeling anxious, feeling sick, um, more out of just anxiety. Uh, a few days feeling like I was going to vomit just from my anxiety. And uh, I remember I would try to distract myself out of it and I'd watch TV or, or listen to the radio or whatever, I'd drive in the car. And I'd, um, when I'm... When I was there, ads for um, raising awareness about certain neurological diseases like motor neuron would come on the radio. And I would think in my head, my distorted thinking was, well, God's put that on there then to get me ready to give me this disease. That's what I would think. And then I'd get really nervous and anxious again, and this cycle I would go in. And one day when I was super anxious, um, I was at night, and I seriously, seriously thought I was actually going out of my mind. I was having this panic attack and I couldn't control for about two hours and I didn't know what to do to stop it. 
and it really, really scared me. And I could see that my anxiety and the way that my, this illness was getting to me was affecting people around that I really loved, and especially on Katie. And I wouldn't let her in. I wouldn't talk to her about it with her. She could see the effects on me. And I hated that I was having this massive burden on her for months on end. So I had to, I had to do something. I remember, I remember sitting after that night and thinking, I've got to, I've got to do something. I can't, I can't keep going this way. I'm going to lose my mind if I keep going this way. So I, deci- I decided, and this is, this is my story and my journey, if it hopes encouraging, uh, I decided to get better. I had to do something. And I, I couldn't be where I was anymore. Um, so I, I remember speaking to my friend. Uh, I made a friendship by the grace of God, with a guy called Grant, who's a psychologist, and he said, look, I'm going to give you five things to do. Five things to do. Which was super helpful for me, because I had little tasks to try and do, and he said, I want you to start exercising, even though I didn't want to, I went and did it. He said, I want you to go on anxiety medication. I didn't want to do that, and my brother and sister were on a truckload of medication. I'm like, I'm not doing that. But I did that, because I wanted to get better. And I went, and I saw a psychologist. I did everything in my power and God's strength, to fight, and I got help. Now, this, this is not easy. I know for me and for a lot of us, asking for help uh, is not easy. Being a burden to someone is not easy. Uh, we hate admitting we've got something wrong with us and we need help for a season, so it's more this, well, I'm okay, I've, I'm fine now, let me push forward, and it never is fine. And so uh, I've come to realize that we all need help in different seasons of life. And, and on that point, I just want to encourage you, if, if, you, are, if you are struggling with, with mental illness or, or something at the moment, I, I want to encourage you to get help. Um, the, the earlier you do it, the better it will be, and you recover faster. But talk to someone. You know, most of my days are spent talking to people who are struggling. That's what I do most days. Um, and I would love to help you and walk beside you. Often what I try and do is with people is, uh, this might be my story, is that Three things, I try to walk alongside people and give them spiritual input, what God is saying. Medical help, so looking at going to a GP and then psychological help. Three things to try and do together. And walk alongside you. And I love, um, one of the guys in my MC, Shem, often, often says to me is that um, the idea, we, we feel shame, but he often says that Jesus taken away, taken away our shame on the cross. Therefore, we don't ever feel, feel shame in asking for help or, or, or coming forward. The other thing that I started to do to help me was I started to reflect on what God was, was trying to teach me, was trying to show me. And I think the big thing he was trying to say to me was, Gav, even if you get sick, um, do you trust me that I'm still good? Is the cross enough for you? And Gav, if you get sick, do you trust me that I will look after your kids and wife and your family better than you can do? And I wrestled with God long over that one. He was asking me, do you only love me if you're healthy? Do you only love me when things are going well for you? I think he was asking me, is, 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 is your love based upon being blessed in your life? Will you trust me in the darkness? I often picture this idea of being in a dark room. And I can hear God's voice saying, trust me, I love you, you're my child, I've got this but trying to wander through this dark room, just hearing his voice, but can't seeing what's in front of me. That's what I felt like. I felt the most contro- out of control I felt is when, when I think we often feel is when our health is affected, because we have no control over that, over our health. When I started to see this and understand this more over months, I saw that God was not distant or loving, but he was near and close, and he was teaching me deep things to grow me in my joy. It was a hard journey. 
And the other big thing I tried to do was to listen to what God was saying. God was saying to me, God, he was saying, Gav, I want you to love me and I want you to love others. See, the thing is that as humans made in his image, we are not made to navel gaze. We are not made to look down at ourselves all the time. And what I was doing was, I was simply day after day listening to my feelings and my emotions. And they were saying to me, you are sick. No one understands what's going on with you. The doctors are wrong. Your wife doesn't understand what's going on with you. And that's the thoughts I had on, in my head on repeat. That's how I was feeling and thinking. That was going on there over and over and again. And so I was listening to that and thinking, that's right, that's right, that's right. And when I looked up to God and out to others, everything changed. I got on with life. Because what I was doing was I was crippled by my fear and my worry. I could not function, pretty much. But I decided to live one day at a time, enjoying each day, each moment, knowing that God had given me just this one day. If I was get sick in the future, he'd give me the, he'd give me the strength in that, in that moment to meet that need. But today he hadn't made me sick. So I can enjoy this one day as a gift, and he's provided for my needs. And who knows what will happen tomorrow? But that just led me to worrying more if I thought that way. Now, this wasn't easy. I had to change my whole pattern of thinking, my distorted pattern of thinking. I had to learn not to listen to my feelings, my emotions, and, and, and thoughts. I had to assess them. My, my, my friend Grant tried to teach me this thing of where if a feeling or emotion comes, I had to see it like a cloud that I could engage with or not. I didn't have to be led by the cloud, that feeling and emotion. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. I had to assess things in the light of God. And once I set my gaze on eternity and living one day at a time, it freed me up from those feelings and emotions. This is, this is, the, this is my ongoing journey. I, I, I still battle with anxiety, but I have the tools now to try and cope with this as I go forward. But what I've learned so much is that I need to look up and out to people, to love them, as I'm called to do. And I, and I know myself so much more, my tendencies. But above all, I know my God so much more, much more and have a deeper joy in Him. And I'm thankful for my season of anxiety now, for what he's taught me, which is a crazy thing to say. And that's been my journey, and, and I'm happy to chat to anyone more about that if they want to talk. But I just want to finish up with two really quick resources. We often feel a bit stuck with this stuff, and one way is to start to reading some things. Two books I would highly recommend. One that was the biggest help to them was this book called Running Scared by Ed Welsh. It goes through what God says about anxiety and fear and unpacks that. The other book I stumbled across a week ago, thank you to uh, someone who read this book just the other day and told me how great it was and I had a look at it. It's been on my shelf for so long. It was written in 1975. It's written by a guy, who, a, um, a guy from the Netherlands. He's, he's, he's a psychologist and, a, and a, um, a theologian. And it's called The Christian Looks at Himself. A lot of our fears and anxieties come from a place where we don't like who we are. Can't stand who we are, but low self-worth. This book talks about who we are through the eyes of God. And if I was to write a book, it would be on this topic. I think this is so, so one of our biggest issues. Two books there, um, that book there, um, Running Scared and The Christian Looks and Stuff by Anthony Hocum, really worth having a look at. I just want to say this, this, is, this is a big topic. I could talk for hours on this stuff, but I'm not going, I'm going to stop there. But I really hope that you've seen today through what Jesus said that we have a king, a dad who sits on the throne, who loves us, who says, do not worry because I've got it. And the question is, again and again, do we trust him? And the answer to that is, get to know him more, get to understand his character more, press into him, and he will show you who he is. And he'll free you up from that anxiety and that fear and that worry. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you that you're a God who is our dad. 
And that nothing, you say, nothing can separate us from your love. Neither height nor depth, angels nor demons, death nor life, sickness nor disease will separate us from that love. Promise in John 10 is that no one can snatch us out of Jesus' hand. We want to cling to that today. We want to see that what, we, what it means to be a child of yours means that you are, you are on our side, that you are near and you are personal, and we have access to the King of all. We pray we would not take that lightly, but rather see that for the, for the amazingness that it is and the beauty that that is. And that would shape how we feel, how we live, how we trust. I want to pray for people who are here this afternoon who are struggling with anxiety. Lord, I want to pray that you would, you would free them from that. I want to pray, Lord, that through this season, this hard season, they would draw into you. They would see you as their good dad who's on their side, who is near and I would trust you more. Lord, help us to be a church that speaks of these issues, that loves one another and points one another to the cross and models that love to one another. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. I'm going to give you time to reflect on what God said to you and then we're going to sing together.